Give it up for Jesus this morning. And don't you just love Pastor Marsh and the entire worship team? Well, you may be seated. One of the things that I have shared with Marsh and and others when it comes to kind of worship through song in a gathering is it reminds me of an airplane taxiing on, on the runway. So when, when we have this call of worship, what Pastor Marsh and the worship team does, it, it kind of brings us into the plane. It kind of tells us where we're going. We begin to kind of taxi on the runway. And then the word, not, not me, but, but the word takes us to our final destination. And then we bring it back, tie a little nice bow on it, and we send, us, you know, we send everybody out to live under the rule and reign of God with what we have just experienced as the body of Christ. And so that's kind of a little bit of my philosophy of, of how I look at a corporate gathering, and I could not be more grateful to be able to partner with the entire worship team and Pastor Marsh, and they just do a phenomenal job week in and week out. So, yeah. And then let me go ahead and celebrate. You, you heard the news. We're at 680, so almost $700,000 for Raise the Roof. Like, and I love some of the stories because we, we still have money. Uh, money's coming in, and so we are leaving Raise the Roof open, as you heard last weekend, until the end of June. But I loved a couple of stories. Like, one, I, I love the story of uh, this teenager when they woke up and, uh, and they were getting ready to come to be with the church last weekend. They just grabbed a wad of their cash. And I don't know what teenager has a wad of cash just lying around because I know when I, you know, when Joni or me, we give cash to our teenager, he spends it. But so how they, how they had cash line around. They grabbed it and the parents said, what, what are you doing? Well, I, I'm going to give to raise the roof because I want to be part of that. And then another teenager worked and made $150 and he wanted to give all of it to raise the roof. And then I heard of one person giving jewelry, another person giving gold. I'm talking about this is Old Testament stuff right here. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Thank you for your generosity. And then on top of that, in addition to that, I don't know the, fi- you know the final number today, but we are well over the 50% mark of just for the month of June in our general offering. We have given over $1.1 million in the first two weeks of June. Like, you, you know, this, this might be your first time here at Northland or you, you're like coming back. Listen, I keep saying this and we never need to, we, we never need to lose sight of what God is doing. He's stirring hearts. What is he doing? I, I don't know, but here's the thing. He's stirring hearts. He's moving. Where where is he moving us to? I don't know, but here's what I always know. When God moves, it's always for his glory, and it's always for other people's good. So, and then just FYI, I am amped up. I only have one cup of coffee, but what we will be talking about this morning is the love of God. And I'm just going to hit and warn you. I am amped up. I was amped up last night. I was amped up at the 9 a.m. And I, I listen, I'm still amped up. As we, amen, you give me too many of those, then, we, well, then you take it to a whole nother level. But anyways, but we're in our series. What, what series are we in? We're going to deal with hurt. Because, yeah, no more, I heard that. No more coffee. Yeah, absolutely. This no coffee in here, just water. It calms me down. But every single one of us, we've been hurt. We've either been the one to receive the hurt or we have been the one to release the hurt. And the thing is, 
with transitions, there's, there's always an ending. There's a neutral zone, that's the processing, and then there's always a new beginning. And so as human beings, when we've either received the hurt or released the hurt, there, there's a potentiality of an ending of something. And then in, in that, we have to process. And so, so what we are going to look at this morning is how we process hurt. Hurt that we've caused, hurt that we have had done to us. And in Luke chapter 15, there's a lot of hurt in this story that many of us, if not most of us, know very well. And that's the story of the prodigal son. You see, the prodigal son, he was hurting. Well, we don't know specifically what was going on. All we know is that he's struggling with discontentment. He's struggling with his current context, living under his father's house. Because one day he comes to the father and says, Father, I want my inheritance. Do you know how old this prodigal son is? He's probably maybe 14, 15, maybe 16 years old. How do you know that, Joshua? Because in Jewish culture, they actually got married fairly young, 18, 19 years old. So he's not even married, so that means he's probably younger, and he comes to his father and says, you know what, I'm tired of living, and we don't get, we don't know what's happening in his life. We don't know what he's struggling with. We don't know the discontentment. We don't know the hurt. But he comes to his father and he's like, man, I'm, I'm tired of living under your house, maybe following your rules. Won't you give me my inheritance so that I can go off and be on my own? And so now his hurt, whatever, whatever's going on in, in his life is now projected on the father. And now he's hurting the father. I mean, could you imagine being that, that kid's father? You put a roof over your son's head. You've taught him the family business. You've given him food to eat. You've taken him to Target to get him his Playstations and his Wii's and everything else. You've taken him to baseball and basketball practice. You, you've cared for and you've loved him. All he's doing now is basically spitting in your face saying that he wishes that you were dead. Think about the hurt. And the father actually gives the son what he wants. And now the son goes off to a far country with a wad of cash, and he has a blast. He lives the high life. He's got this pocket full of money that allows him to stay at the fanciest hotels, go to the coolest parties, access the most attractive women. He has money to gamble with, so he's placing money on the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's placing bets on the U.S. Open, who's going to win that. I mean, he, he's living large. I mean, he's having his best life. Well, uh, that, that stint doesn't last very long because he spends all of his money or loses all of of his money. Now he is broke as a joke. And I brought some jokes with me this morning. He's so poor that he could not, uh, he could not afford a payday. That's a, for, for you younger people, that's a, that's a candy bar payday. He, he's so poor that he runs after a garbage truck with his grocery list. He, he's so poor that he opens up a Gmail account so that he can eat the spam. And then he's so poor that somebody saw him kicking a can down the street and they said, what are you doing? He said, moving. He is broke as a joke. I'm just sorry for, sorry for being cheesy this morning, but figure that light in the room a little bit. So, so, so he's broke as a joke, but in addition to his brokenness, there's a famine that hits the land. So little food and little work are available. 
So he manages to find a job feeding pigs. Let me just say this. Jews saw pigs as unclean. So the fact that he gets this job, it is way, 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 way beneath him. So now he is feeding pigs. He's living with pigs. Now let me ask you this. Could you imagine you're the young son? Uh, you, you, you were hurting, which, which led to you leaving. But now you're hurting just in a different way. So he's sitting there in his hurt as he looks at his life and he kind of says to himself, he's like, man, my, my father's servants have a much better life than I do right now. Maybe I can just go back to the father, tell him that I have sinned and will you take me back, not as your son, because I don't deserve that, will you take me back as just a hired servant? So with that, he kind of rehearses what he's going to say and then he returns to the father. Now, the father, this is amazing. The, the father undoubtedly had been getting up every morning. He would make his coffee, and then he would get up, and he would go to the front porch, and he would look out to a distance to where his property line was. And every morning, he would, he would get up, and he would look to see if his son was going to return. Well, that day, he gets up, and to his surprise, the son is there. And so the father runs to greet him and then throws a party. But then what we see at the end of the story is the older son, because the younger son had an, uh, the younger son had an older brother. Now he's all mad. He's all hurt. He's offended that the father would be so lavish with this younger son. And so his hurt is once again projected onto the father and he even hurts the father. I mean, this story has hurt all in it. And like I said, I believe that every single one of us, we have experienced hurt. Maybe you are dealing with the season of hurt right now. Maybe you're trying to process a new season in your life and you call that a midlife crisis. And you can't even really define what you're struggling with. You can't even really define the hurt, but you're struggling. Maybe you're a teenager. And you're dealing, seriously, like you're dealing with hormonal and body changes. And, and again, you're, you're struggling somehow emotionally and you are hurting, but you're trying to process that. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've lost your purpose. You've lost your drive in life and you are hurting. May, maybe there's been a change in your life. Maybe you've changed schools. Uh, maybe you've changed jobs. And now you are hurting emotionally because you're not connecting with anyone. Uh, maybe you've just gone through a divorce and you're dealing with the aftermath, the emotional, relational, and financial aftermath of a divorce. And you are hurting. Maybe you've lost a parent. Recently, in the way the siblings are trying to divide the estate or talking about the inheritance have left you hurt. Maybe someone didn't meet your expectations. They failed you and you're trying to process the hurt and frustration. Maybe the church at some point, or let me just say it this way too, at some point the church will hurt you. How are you processing that? Maybe your spouse has unintentionally hurt you due to how they are processing the change and hurt in another area of our life. So maybe you have been the one to receive the hurt. Hurt has been done to you. But maybe you're sitting out here, maybe you're engaging with us online, and you've been the one to do the hurt. Maybe you hurt your spouse, your child, your friend by something you said. Maybe you've treated others or an organization, maybe even the church, the way you feel like you've been treated, so you've exchanged blow for blow. Maybe you've withdrawn emotionally 
from a loved one, maybe your spouse. And so you're living at a distance from them and it's hurting them. So I, I don't know. But here's again, what I do know, we've all received hurt, we've all released hurt, and here's the main point that we will flesh out this morning. If you're ready, tell your neighbor, are you ready? Ask your neighbor, are are you ready? All right, here we go. To heal hurt, to heal hurt, you will need to learn love. To heal hurt, you will need to learn love. See, whether we are the one releasing the hurt or whether we are the one who has received the hurt, as we learn the love of God, it will be the very thing that brings healing to your life and it will be the very thing needed to bring healing to the other person's life. And so five lessons here in the story of the parable of the prodigal son. Five lessons, and I'm, like I said, amped up, can't wait. Let's go ahead and get started. Lesson number one, God's love keeps the door open even though it looks like it's closed. God's love keeps the door open even though it looks like it's closed. The father was clearly wronged by the son. The son was clearly out of line, yet the father goes along with what the son is asking. We don't know if there's any words that were exchanged between the father and the son that day. We don't know if the father begged the son, hey, son, you don't, listen, you're just a young teenager. You don't know what you're asking, so please reconsider. We, We don't know if the father did that. But at the very end, the father gives the son what he wants now. But, but I don't want you to miss this, though. In, in that culture, for this young teenage boy to come to his father and ask for the inheritance was basically saying, I wish you were dead. I don't want to be with you. I want to be on my own. For, for that to happen, there was so much dishonor and disrespect that the father, guess what the father could have done? The father could have went to the community, the Jewish community, and said, my son has dishonored me in this way. The community could have then grabbed the son, taken him outside the community with a pile of stones and stoned him and he could have died. That's what should have happened and even could have happened. But that's not what happened. So do you know what the father had to do in order to give his son what he wanted? See, the the father couldn't take his son, all right, son, well, let's just go to the Bank of America where where, where, where all my money is and I'll, I'll I'll give you your inheritance. So they couldn't do that. The father actually had to put his property or a portion of his property up for sale so that the son could get his inheritance. So now he is showing even to the community what he's willing to do for this prodigal son. So the father patiently and kindly gives the son what he has demanded. In other words, don't miss this church. The hurt and broken-hearted father doesn't hurt and break the heart of his confused and irreverent son. See, I know our human proclivity is to fight fire with fire, blows with blows, but that's not the way God's love works. God's love endures the hurt, perseveres through the brokenness, and even suffers loss. He has to give a piece of his property away, and he does not do so in a in a way that would blow up 
a potential for reconciliation. You see, the father that day exchanged with the son dishonor with honor, hurt with help, disdain for respect, and hopelessness with hope. You see, God's love never blows up the relationship but always leaves the door open for reconciliation. You see, our culture knows nothing of this, especially in the cancel culture in which we live. If you don't agree with the other, cancel, you move on. If you don't think like the other, cancel, move on. If you don't believe like them, cancel, move on. If you don't tweet the right thing, cancel, move on. You don't vote the right way, cancel, move on. You don't say the right thing, cancel, move on. You don't use the right pronoun, cancel, move on. You offend them, you hurt them, they cancel, close the door on you. See, and think about this, church. All cancel culture does is create a more divided and fractured society built around affinity, not agape. See, and that's what's happening today in America is that we have all of these affinity groups that basically have closed the door on people not like them, and so we are now a fractured and fragmented society, but the church of Jesus Christ should not be that because we are to emulate God's love. And that's what we see here with the love of the Father. It is patient. It is kind. It responds to wrongdoing in such a way that always extends, always, always, always extends the potentiality of reconciliation. That is why does it close the door? He leaves it open. How, how, do we, how, how do we know this? Well, okay. Now with the pocket full of money, the younger son heads off to the far country. He goes to the Bellagio. He gets into the high roller suites. He's at the raves, the nightclubs. He's at uh, ringside with all the major fights. He's going and placing his sports bets. He's living large on his inheritance. But one day he wakes up and he looks at his checking account. He's like, I have nothing left. I'm broke. As a joke. I won't go through those jokes again. And now that severe famine hits the land, and now he goes and he's starting to work at a pig pen. At that pig pen, says this in verse 17. Don't miss this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? The reason why the, the, the son could even come to his senses to even think about his father is because the father, the way he ended that relationship, left the door cracked. So he comes to his senses. And he is now, he's not even looking at coming back to the father as his son, but as a hired servant. Because he's looking at how the father has lavished love on just the servants, that the servants have food to spare. And so I'll sit and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Here's the second principle. Ooh, this is a good dude, yeah. God's love awakens and attracts those in need of love. You see, what's so, what's so interesting about Luke chapter 15, you got a couple of other parables right before the parable of the prodigal. You have the parable of the lost sheep. You have the shepherd. He has a hundred sheep and one sheep gets lost. And so instead of just being content with 99, guess what he does? He's got to go out and find the one. So he runs out to find the one lost sheep. Well, the second 
parable, we see a woman. She has 10 silver coins. Now she loses one of those coins. Well, we don't know if they were a collector's item. We, We don't know, but she loses one. So she's not content with just having nine. Now she's got to turn her whole house upside down to find the lost silver coin. So she's doing something actively pursuing that lost coin. You say, well, the the parable of the prodigal, we we don't see anything about that where where the father runs out. Oh, because he left the door cracked and because the son has now come to his senses, what is he thinking about? He is thinking about the love of the father. So the love of the father is way over here while he is in a pig pen and the love of God is reaching him in his darkest moment. It's reaching him in the pig pen. It's reaching him in his depression. It is reaching him in his sin and the consequences of his sin. All he can think about as he comes to his senses is the way God loves just the servants. I want you to know that the love of God awakens and attracts you in your darkest moment. And that's what we see here with the prodigal. God's love awakens and attracts those in need of love. This reminds me of Romans 2, 4, where Paul writes, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness, his love, is intended to lead you to repentance? God's love chases you. You say, You don't know what I've done. I might, but he does, and he's running after you. You you don't, I've been struggling with addiction. I've been struggling with porn. I've been struggling with, listen, his love is running after you. I'm on my fifth marriage. His love is running after you. Well, I'm struggling with mental illness and depression, and I just, his love is running after you. This is, this is, Something that I'm telling, I'm chewing on. And here's the question that I'm asking. Does the way that I treat people, does the way that I love people manifest the active goodness, kindness, mercy, and long-suffering patience of God? Another way I'm asking this question. Does the way I love people chase them down long after my encounter with them? Does the way I engage a waitress or a waiter, regardless of the kind of service, does the way I would engage them, interact with them, does it chase them long after I've left the restaurant? When you're with your, when you're with your, you know, crazy uncle or when you're with your, you know, maybe your entire extended family and they get on your nerves, does the way you love them, interact with them, does it chase them long after the encounter? Because long after the encounter that the son had with the father, the day he left, chased him down to the pig pen. So the son is headed home to engage his father and to ask to become one of his servants. So as he gets close to home, the Bible does tell us that the father sees him from a distance. And in in verse 20, here's what we read. The father was filled with compassion for him. Everybody say compassion. See, he wasn't filled with anger. See, I, I, I know my human proclivity. I'd be like, 
By the time that sucker came home, let me go, ooh, you know, I, I'm going to get angry. It didn't say that he was filled with resentment. It didn't say that he was filled with bitterness. It says he was filled with what? Compassion. This deep-seated love that comes from your bowels. Which leads me to the third principle. Because after he has this compassion for him, runs, throws his arms, kisses him, and this is the third principle. God's love at times holds off on words so that he can open up his arms. The father says nothing to the son, just embraces him, hugs him, kisses him. Now, if you were part of the crowd that was hearing Jesus tell the story, you are going to be shocked and amazed at the activity of the father. You would see this as scandalous because this man, this Jewish man, he ran. Jewish men did not run back then. He had to pick up his robes and expose his, his, his legs, which was a sign, of, a sign of dishonor. And so now he's hugging the son that disrespected him, disowned him, and denigrated the family's name. He kisses his son. Now, I, will, I want you to also think about this. This son is nasty. He has not had a bath. He's been living with some pigs. He's got algae growing on him. You say, what's that? I'm just dealing with algae right now. I'm learning, learning. (laughs) He's, He's nasty, dirty, smelly. And here's the father kissing him. This is undignified behavior. But here's a question that I ask. Why doesn't he open his mouth? Isn't that a fair question? Okay, well, I got some guesses. You wanna hear them? It doesn't matter if you did or not. I'm going to tell them. Yeah, here you go. But thanks for, yeah, for two of you. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so, so as human beings, when we've been wronged, when we've been hurt, there's this awkwardness that happens when we are with the person who's hurt us, right? We just don't know what to say. So, so maybe the father wanted to refrain from maybe saying the wrong thing. Or maybe in addition, when, when people who have hurt us when we, when we get with them, there's also this tendency for us to say, I told you so. Like, man, I, listen, I, I knew, I knew this would happen. And, and then in some sense, we're like trying to lecture them once again. Maybe, maybe the father didn't want the possibility of having his words misconstrued and misinterpreted. Furthermore, maybe he didn't want to say how much he missed his son but to show him how much he missed his son. Like, and here's the thing, I've done it, you've done it. All right, so you're at, tar, you're at Target, or Target, like my wife likes to call it. Walmart, First Watch, maybe Costco, you're in there with a little shopping cart and you're about to go down this aisle, but you see that person who hurt you and you're like, Bleep. But But here's the thing, but here's the thing, you say, I forgive them. Oh, hang on, hang on, do you? Am I marking this card? <clears throat> See, that's the reason why I think there are times where our actions are weightier than our words. And so here's the father showing his son how much he missed him. On the cross, Jesus opened not his mouth as they reviled him and insulted him, but he did what? He opened up his arms. That's why we read in Isaiah 53. 
The Messiah was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open up his mouth. Our Savior did not open up his mouth, but he opened up his arms to show us and demonstrate God's love for us. So what does it look like to hold your words and open up your arms? Well, it might require you refraining from being right. Listen, here's the thing. I, I love being right. And I will have been married 19 years this August. And people have told me for the last like 20 years, you can either be right or be happy. You just can't be both. And I've tried to be both. And uh, they're, they're right. They're right. But, but there are times where I just want to like argue with my wife because I know I'm right. But if I'm gonna love her like Christ loved the church, it might refrain me, refrain me from opening up my mouth. It might require you ceasing to go after what you deserve or getting what's rightfully yours. Well, I deserve this. It's mine. The father had every right to do that, but he didn't. So you might have to relinquish even what is rightfully yours in order to maintain a relationship or even the possibility of one. It might mean that you release the offenders and the offense as well, the hurt that's been done to you, the resentment that's been brewing in you. And I love saying this about forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiving someone doesn't mean that you forget. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he was buried and then he rose again and he appeared to the disciples. Do you know what he showed them? His hands. See, if Jesus wasn't going to forget, there wouldn't be any scars on his hand. But because he has scars on his hand, he remembers what he had to do, but he just doesn't hold his people accountable for their sin. Told you I was amped up. So, so it, also might re, it also might mean refraining from giving them a piece of your mind to giving them a piece of your heart. You may say that again? Okay, I'll say it again. Just in case you didn't get it. It might mean you refrain from giving people a piece of your mind to giving them a piece of your heart. So you'll have to actively love the people that have hurt you. Maybe that you've even hurt which might mean that you need to apologize and clear the air, which might mean that you might have to endure their irritating mannerisms and social behavior. You might need to buy them a gift card. You might need to write them an encouraging note. You might need to tell them that you are praying for them. You might need to take them a meal. You might need to invite them out for coffee and just listen to them. Now, before I move on, let me just say, let me say this. Just because, because I think this is going to be important, just because the father refrained from opening his mouth doesn't mean he condoned or overlooked what the son did. And it doesn't mean that they would never have talked about what transpired, but at that moment, the most important thing was to close the mouth so that he can open up the arms. Now, I'm sure it was a moving scene as the father embraced his son after tears, snot, stopped flying, the son gets to the place where he had rehearsed his speech and he's like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But that's as far as he got, as far as he got. Why? Because the father interrupted him. Now, once again, the father does not talk to him. 
So the father hasn't even addressed him yet. But do you know what the father does? He turns around to his servants and says, hey, go get my son a robe. Get my robe, my best robe. Give it to him. Get my signet ring. Give it to him. And, and let this sucker, this sucker is barefoot. Get him some sandals because he's not going to be no redneck. All right. So go get his sandals. I don't want no redneck barefoot son of mine walking around the property. So go get my sandals. And while you're at it, I, I want you to throw a party. So tell the mariachi band to get ready. Uh, tell the other people to go into the wine cellar, bypass the box wine, and I want you to get the Chevelle LeBanc. I want you to get the Screaming Eagle Cabernet. That's what I want you to get because we are about to have a party. Which leads me to my fourth principle. God's love graciously serves up what one doesn't deserve. Did the son, the young son, deserve this elaborate party? No. He deserved death, but he didn't even get that. He didn't deserve an elaborate party. He didn't deserve the robe. Even he, he even acknowledged he didn't deserve it. He was going to say, I want to be your hired servant. He didn't even get that far. I mean, it's not like he's coming home having graduated from Harvard. Look, Dad, look what I got. I graduated from Harvard Law School. Let's celebrate. No, 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 no. He graduated from the pig pen. Yeah. <laughs> People would have been confused and even upset that such a party was thrown. The older son definitely is. He's angry and upset. But here's what God's love does. God's love serves up what one doesn't deserve. You do realize we do not deserve God's love. We do not deserve anything good. Now, you say, well, you say that. Well, here's the thing. Here's what the Bible teaches. There's no one good, no, not one. Even our goodness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. For the wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and fallen short of the, like, the Bible tells us that we are the prodigal. That God had created this incredible world. He had given us everything we could have ever imagined. We had everything at our disposal. And basically what we said was, God, we don't want to live under your rule and reign. We love what you created. We love the inheritance. We love the possessions. But we don't want, to, we don't want them underneath your rule and reign. Give, give us a portion of our inheritance so that we can just go and live our own life, so that we can do our own thing, so that we can worship me, so that we can worship other gods. We don't like you. We wish you were dead. And yet... In the midst of all of that, we read that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so what we see in Jesus at the cross is God's love running after us. And here's the principle. This is well worth your attendance here. The depth to which you understand your depravity will determine the magnitude to which you understand God's mercy. See, we, we live in a culture today, they, they, they always want to talk about just how good they are. Like, this is one of the, one of the reasons why I wrote an article years ago about how uh, I teach my kids how bad they are. Like, you don't even deserve Santa to bring you anything because you're bad. Why? Because here's the thing. If I taught my kids that if you're good, you get good gifts, then that actually goes against what the gospel teaches. See, but we want to, we want to teach everybody how good they are. 
Oh, you're, 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 you're so good, you're so good. And here's the thing, if we're so good, then it diminishes the cross, it diminishes Jesus. Because if we're so good, then we didn't need Jesus to come die for our sins. If we're so good, then all we need to do is go on the Oprah show, let her talk some things out with us or Dr. Phil or go see a counselor so they can kind of tweak our bad areas because we're so good. And what we see here in the story of the prodigal, he's so bad, but the father is so good, which elevates the father. So here's the thing that I always want us to do. Now, here's the other thing people say, well, you you know, won't that just lead to, you know, bad self-esteem or self-esteem problems or depression or darkness? No, absolutely not. You know why? Because it's in my depression, it's in my darkness, it's in my sin, it's in my self-esteem issues, it's in my self-loathing, it's in all of that that God's love reached down to me and it has pulled me to where he is. And so so no longer it's about living here, it's about living there. And so now I start looking at myself in the mirror and I see myself and how God sees me, not how I feel or how I see myself, or how even the culture sees me at that. When we live in light of the don't deserve, we can then mercifully serve. If you're having trouble loving people the way God has loved you, it might do you well to spend some time at the foot of the cross. The last principle, and this is my favorite. Tell your neighbor this is his favorite. He's like, his favorite? Yeah, it's my favorite. God's love matches the perceived worth of the object. You see, the older son is having a difficult time with the father's response to the younger son's return home. So he says this in in verse 30. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And earlier on, he's like, "You you never gave me a young goat. You never celebrated me. But, but, But this son of yours... He squandered everything. He, he, he's lived a life of debauchery. And he comes home and you throw this big elaborate party. He cannot understand the rationale of the father. Don't miss this. Oh, gosh, don't, don't miss this. The older son places the value of the younger son purely on his behavior and his actions. He's done this. He don't deserve this. Oh, see, that's what cancel culture does. That's what our culture does. It values you based upon your behaviors and your actions. It values you based upon your thoughts. It it values you based upon your social predictions. It's like if, if if you believe this way, great. If not, you're dead to me. And so our... Culture is now living in such a way as it's placing value on people based upon the output of the people. But do you see what, you see what the father, you see how he responds? And, and let's just say this, that's what religious people do as well. It's not just our culture. Because the older son actually represents the religious leaders of the day where they walked around with their self-righteousness, with their nose up in the air. Look, look how good I am. Look how pitiful bad you are. But what was, what was the point Jesus is making is that you're just as wicked and bad as the younger son. But here's how the father responds. He says, my son, you are always with me 
and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and we had to be glad. Why? Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Yes, I know he disowned us. Yes, I know he wanted me dead. Yes, I know he ran away. I know he squandered his inheritance, our possessions. I know he denigrated our family's name. Yes, I know he did things he will regret for the rest of his life. But just because he did those things, just because he disowned me, doesn't mean I disown him. Just because he wanted me dead, doesn't mean I want him dead. Just because he ran away from me, doesn't mean that I want to run away from him. Why? I love him because he's part of me. He has been made in my image, and therefore he's worth loving. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, I have people all the time tell me how my kids look like me or how my kids look like Joni. And so when the younger son returned home, the father sees his image in his son, and therefore it has immense value. And that's why the way we love people is that we're looking at them the way God looks at them. And people's value and worth are tied to who they are and whose they are, not what they do. That's why if you have shame and guilt, lay it at Jesus's feet because that's not where the value comes from. All right, you wanna play a game real quick before we end? You wanna play a game? This will ease a little tension. All right, here we go. Here's the game. How long would you wait patiently for food from fill in the blank? So how long will you wait patiently for food from blank? All right, so how long will you wait for just a cheeseburger at McDonald's? Anybody willing to wait more than 15 minutes for a cheeseburger at McDonald's? Okay, nobody. Yeah. Popeye's, Popeye's chicken sandwich. Now I love, I love Popeye's chicken sandwich more than I love Chick-fil-A. Please don't stone me. Love me just like God would, okay? Love me like God. I might wait 15 minutes, might, might wait 15 minutes for a Popeye's chicken sandwich. All right, first watch. Maybe some of you, you got, maybe you got reservations or if you don't got reservations, but you're going to first watch after this gathering. How many of you would wait more than 30 minutes for first watch? Anybody out there? Wait 30 minutes for first watch, all right? How many, 45, 45, you wait more than 45. How many of you would wait more than an hour for first watch? Anybody out there? Maybe, oh, we got, we got some first watch lovers. All right, hallelujah, thank you. We will, yeah, we'll tell them, you got some fans. Then if you start looking at things like Cantina and Star Wars or Cinderella's Royal Table or the Chocolate Emporium, or, and I'm, I'm learning other restaurants around here, okay? But I understand that even Cinderella's Royal Table, like you've got to get on that list for, for, for months before you even get there. You say, you say Josh, what, what, what's, what, what's the point? If you believe the food is worth the wait, you'll wait patiently. The value of the food determines the length of your wait. You ready for this principle? The value of the person determines the long suffering of your love. See, who's worth your long suffering and act of goodness? Let me tell you who. The stubborn spouse, the hormonal teenager, the wayward child, the know-it-all uncle. 
the rude in-law, the crazy cousin, the addicted aunt, the Pharisaic self-righteous church member, the difficult church member, the church hopper, the gossiper, the other who does not look like you, dress like you, believe like you, the person wearing the MAGA cap, the person wearing the BLM shirt, the person flying the rainbow flag, the refugee, the political junkie, the conspiracy theorist, and the non-vaxxer, every single one of them are worth a long-suffering, patient love directed towards them. You say it's so hard. That's the point. The only way you can love people like that who have hurt you, who have offended you, who don't think like you, who are difficult is if you tap into the love of God. And so I want us to be a church that is driven to God, driven to his love. We cannot love like this. I'm going to put up Rembrandt's painting. I told you I was amped up. So sorry. When you talk about the love of God, it's just hard not to. So I'm going to put up Rembrandt's painting, The Return of the Prodigal. In a moment, we're about to sing, Run to the Father. I want you to look at this painting. I don't even get emotional at paintings, but I'm looking at this painting. And here's what I want you to ask. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I the prodigal son or am I being called to be the prodigal father? You say prodigal father, yeah, because the older son saw what the father did was wasteful and reckless. Just what he saw the younger son do was wasteful and reckless. So here's the question, do you need to be the one to receive the love of the father? Or are you right now being called to release the love of the Father? In that transition, right? Whenever you've been hurt, you might, you, might need to, you might need to receive in that neutral zone where you're processing, you might need to receive this kind of love or you might need to release this kind of love. Father, I pray for our brothers and sisters. I pray for me. Because there are definitely people right now in my life that it is, di- it is difficult to show and demonstrate the love of God. And I need you, Spirit, to fill me, empower me, that I might release this love. Father, I know that there are people in this room engaging with this online. They need to receive this love. They need to know that the value of their life is not contingent upon the behaviors of their life, but on the fact that they are created in the image of God and that God has poured immense value into them because they are part of him. So may they receive the Father's love. Maybe people are hurting today because of it's Father's Day and they didn't have a father that even remotely looks like Luke 15. Today may they even process that hurt that's been nagging them for years by receiving the love of their heavenly Father. Work mightily and it's in your name we pray, amen.